Hey, thanks for uh, taking a second to appreciate us. You really don't need to do that. I always, I always try to push it off, and, and I just feel awkward about it. And uh, but they always say, "Well, we're going to do it." It's okay. Uh, but I'm just thankful. We have a great team, and that's what I'm most thankful for. That I actually like to come to work, and uh, we all feel uh, very grateful. We also have uh, some uh, part-timers that aren't necessarily pastors, but do a ton of work and, and affect us in many ways. Uh, Tim, Gabby, Ashley. And it's Monica. So uh, it's just a, it's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity to work here, really, and to serve along with you. Um, when you take growth track or you take a party with a uh, coffee with the pastor, when you got party with the pastor, okay, so you said coffee with the pastor. When you take one of those classes, um, you you hear me say, if I didn't pass this church, I would actually attend this church. You know, and we really mean that. We love it, and we love you. And, uh, and we're very thankful for you. Our, our social media team put together this past week some media uh, pictures for a past appreciation. Everybody was on their front porches or out for Easter or whatever it was. It was just, it was just a great uh, chance for people to like it. And, and um, But, you know, Rebecca, she took a picture with her dog. Now, also, it blew up the Internet. It got so many likes. It was the same day that the Internet went down. You know, Facebook went down, like, blew it up. And so... Uh, it was just amazing. I decided that for anything I do with my family, I'm going to put her picture up with ours, and so uh, so we're going to we're going to include that. Yeah. So you might see that from time to time, and uh, feel free to like that anytime you see it. True story, real quick. Some little bit of housekeeping we got to do before you got to take it off the screen. I can't post it. All right. So little housekeeping. Uh, last week, my son. My youngest son, Griffin, who loves animals, was chasing a snake out of the grass. You know, the snakes by that pond are like, you know, dinosaur-like. They're huge. So he was chasing one, and it went under one of your cars. And so he went under the car to get it, which 10-year-olds do. So a couple of things. One, when you leave today, can you check under your car to make sure my son's not there? Two, does anybody drive a silver Honda? He lost the snake up in your engine. So, anybody with a silver rod that probably has a snake in their engine. Okay. All right. Let's go to Hebrews. So, so Hebrews um, is uh, is our series where we're walking through this. We're walking uh, through the Word. We're digging into the Word because I, I can chop this up and make it easy for you, but you've got grit. And, uh, and so we're just going to dive in and we're going to read the scriptures and we're going to read what it says. And so far, what we talked about is Hebrews. Uh, is a book of comparison. It takes Jesus and it compares him, right? That it always says he's better than, superior than, and greater than. Eleven times it says better. Uh, four times superior. Seven times greater. And the comparison so far has been Jesus to the prophets who are highly revered, to the angels, to Moses, and to Joshua. And so we're still comparing and we're still walking through Hebrews, and today we'll compare it to another thing as he does that. Let me, let me tell you this. I was talking to a young pastor this week. Um, I had called to encourage him. I heard it was his first year in ministry, and he's discouraged, and he's thinking about quitting. And so I just thought, well, I can give him a call and encourage him. So he said, um, have you ever thought about quitting? I said, well, yeah, man. I thought about it in my first year, my second year, my eighth year, and right before I called you, right? Not really. Not the right before I called you, Mark, but I really did. I, really did. I said, you know what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to be alone, and he, he wants you to be exhausted, and he wants you to wonder if the grass is greener somewhere else, right? That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to think, well, I bet it'd be better over there. I bet those people would be better. I bet, and I said, you know what will happen? The same problems at your church will follow you to the next one. 
So don't always think grass is greener on the other side. He said, well, people think that I work one day a week, yet I really feel like I work 24-7. I'm always on call. What do I do? So, well, maybe you need to set some boundaries, some healthy boundaries for yourself because you're not Superman. I said, well, describe it like this. For just one day a week, the one day you, the one day a week you supposedly work that Sunday, tell them that you have to explain an ancient 2,000-year-old book that is split in two very different parts. That you have to read a translation from other languages, that you have to understand it and apply it to the people who are sitting in a pew or a chair and they're wondering if you can get done by the time they need to make their lunch, tea time, nap time, or next kid's birthday party. And that's taking into the fact that they actually show up. Then you somehow got to convince these people that serving is at the heart of God and you need hundreds of people to pull it off for just this Sunday. Then blow their minds and tell them this is your best day of the week. And you'll probably work another 60 on top of it, and his situation probably under, uh, grossly underpaid, and uh, you feel called to the church. And so you're not going to let a foothold of the devil push the church any further away from a godless culture. You're going to keep pressing on. I could sense when I gave him that rousing speech, he was really ready to quit. So then he said, what keeps you going as the world gets nastier and nastier? I said, man, I feel called to it. And I'm a praying wife. Right? So I feel called to it, man. I feel like it's got to, I got to keep going. As I had this conversation with him, I tried to encourage him best I could. And really, I just wanted to say, you're going to have to get some grit, man. You're going to have to give yourself grace, but you're going to have to have some grit. You're going to have to push through. I thought about how we've been talking because today's passage is a little bit of one you, you got to get kind of, kind of gritty with. You got to, you got to kind of dig in and and uh, it, it, it applies to Hebrews because it's a tough book, right? Every pastor gets to Hebrews chapter 3. Okay, man, I'm feedback. I got feedback or something going on, Tim. I need, I need some help, man. Is it just me? You don't care, do you? All right. <laughs> Good. Let's not talk back anymore, okay? All right. Every preacher jumps into chapter 3 and, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Then they jump to chapter 11, thanks to him, and they, they ignore the, the, um, the, the, the rest of it, right? Because they want to go to the faith chapter and they want to go to the fix your eyes on Jesus chapter. But all the rest of it, they just kind of ignore. Well, why do they ignore that? Because it's super complicated, right? So, so Hebrews is, um, is written to Jews, not Gentiles. Well, that's, that's mostly us. So Hebrews is written to people who... As, he, as Jews would have understood some of the things that we as Gentiles have to learn. And so it's almost like when someone tells you, um, an, someone, you're in a group and someone tells an inside joke, right? If you don't dig in with a little bit of, of grit, you kind of misunderstand. So the inside joke, right? Somebody does an inside joke in your group and you say, wait, what? Well, then they got to explain it, right? That's kind of how you have to jump into this passage uh, with Hebrews. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend the other day and I'm, I said, a few years back, but when we did the calculations, I was referring to 1990, <laughs> right, which is more than 30 years ago. And my friend later sent me this meme, and it said, crazy to think that 1980 and 2021 are as far apart as 1980 and 1939, right? And if you understand that, that means you're old. <laughs> it does. So what, I, tell my kids, I tell one of my kids that he has no idea what I'm talking about. 
what, what does that, what does that mean? I had to explain it to him, felt super old. And, and basically I said, I'm halfway to dead, okay? That's what it means. It's like I'm halfway, halfway to dead. So, so Paul jumps into Hebrews, or who we think writes Hebrews, chapter 5 to 10, and he explains Jesus is greater. And, he, and in this passage, he says Jesus is greater than the law, okay? So, so just for a moment, let's, because this passage makes us dig in, let me make sure everybody in the room is caught up, okay? I don't want to be elementary if this is, if this is easy for you, then you just hold on for a second. If this doesn't make any sense to you, just let me catch you up. So if I took the Bible and, uh, and I said, uh, we'll go from Genesis, the beginning, to Malachi, right? If I took that, that's what the Bible calls the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, right? Genesis to Malachi. If I took Matthew and went all the way to the end, that's New Testament, or new covenant. If I summarize the Old Testament, which is dangerous to do, in one word, if I said, what is this, what, what one word would describe this? It would be systems. From Genesis to Malachi, it's described as systems. From Matthew to Revelation, you would describe it as Savior. Okay? So it's dangerous to take a thousand words of pages and, um, and summarize it, but that's the gist of it. The Old Testament was about systems. The New Testament is about a savior. A great preacher of the 20th century named um, William, William Scroge said this, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you go to the New Testament, if you go, to the, if you go into the Psalms, Proverbs, if you go to the prophets, anywhere in the Old Testament, if you go to the New Testament, when you cut it, it bleeds the blood of Jesus. So it's saying all things point to the blood of Christ, and from cover to cover, it's literally about a Savior. But in terms of practicality, in terms of approaching God, they are very different. So the truth is the whole Bible points to Jesus. Um, the Old Testament points forward to him and his coming. The New Testament points back to when he came and, and what is to come. And it's always referencing how he's greater and superior and better. And today's question is, well, what is, in Hebrews 5 uh, to 10, what is Jesus superior to? And the answer is uh, the system or the law. You say, okay, what system are we talking about? Like, this seems like an inside joke. What are we talking about, right? Okay, what we're talking about is the sacrificial system. I mean, I could, di- I could deep dive into, into um, Hebrews 5 to 10. In all honesty, outside of Revelation, this is probably one of the hardest passages in the Bible to understand because he refers so much to the Old Testament and, and the, the readers would have understood what we have to work for. And so the Old Testament sets up this, um, these rules, rules about animal sacrifices, order of the priest, temple, articles of the temple, old covenant rules. And, and, he, and he, but he goes to say, hey, look, there's all these things, but Jesus is a savior. Okay, what does he save you from? One, from yourself. Because you're not as good as you look today. And two, and neither am I, two, he saves us from a system that was rule heavy and legalistic and was hard to follow. And he changes it to a relationship driven experience. And the reader of Hebrews would have known that God had set up this system, a life for a life. So literally an an innocent life would have to be sacrificed for a guilty one. For there to be atonement and forgiveness. So yearly, the Jewish believers and these Jewish readers would take an unblemished animal and they would, they would go to a priest and they would sacrifice it at an altar for their sins. It, it was very complicated. Many rules, many ways to do it, how to get there, how to do it, how to travel, all this stuff. And Jesus comes along as, as God to earth and says, I'll die for all. 
I'll save you all if you'll accept me, and your sins and separation from God will be done. Right? So it takes these readers back from this system and brings them to a relationship, and, and it, it makes them remember Christ brings relationship where religion brings rules. People will pass the church and say, well, what kind of, what religion are you? I say, we're Christian. We, we believe Jesus. We believe the Bible. We follow him. Yeah, but what kind of Christian are you? Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or what are you? Jesus died in my place. I accept him. I believe he rose. I believe he will come again. That kind of Christian. And they want to get me pigeonholed to one certain thing, and denominations aren't bad at all, but, when, but they want to get us like locked into like a system. What system are you? Right? I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus of the Bible. And so, so Genesis to Malachi is this systematic approach to God. And Matthew to Revelation is not a system, but a savior. And so God prescribed a way to approach him. He literally set it up. This is the way you approach me. And you'll approach me through a system. And then you'll be able to throw, approach me through a savior. And the, the readers of this book were prone to go back to the system, not a savior. And so he keeps reminding them. Jesus is superior to all you know. Keep coming back to him. We're going to jump into um, Genesis or Hebrews uh, 6, 1 to 3. And um, I have a Bible here, but I found out first service, I can't see it anymore. And somebody outside, Mike Sawyer, I don't know if Mike's in here, he gave me his reading glasses, and apparently I need a 1.75 from Walgreens. Anyway, anybody got to their 40s and realized you need reading glasses suddenly? Man, what is life? Anyway, so... So, okay, here's what it says, Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ to be taken forward to maturity. Right? We want to mature. So not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and from faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rituals, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So what he's saying is these things are elementary things that should be happening. They're not necessarily simple but they're what should definitely be happening. There, we, there should be laying on of hands for people to be healed. There should be people repenting. Like I keep saying, we ought to make repentance cool in this church. Because, you know, you get all freaked out like, oh, my goodness, I don't know. I don't want to repent. And people might think bad of me. They're not thinking about you anyway. And what I think God says is when you come to finally repent and, and you, you bring that to him, something finally is right about you. Honestly. And so then it says that we should, should we call the resurrection of Jesus and eternal judgment. And I think within these verses, we see what may have gone wrong um, with our country, but also at times with the church. Because sometimes we lack faith to lay hands on someone who might believe that they can be healed. And we don't know how to explain it if they're not. And we've, we've watched these, these uh, fanatics at times on TV that have, that have just gone for, for money and, and are like showbiz. And, and they've stolen from the church the benefit of we lay on hands and believe in faith. And we're embarrassed to repent, man. And I, and I just, man, I'm not. And then the church in America has baptized less people every year. We try to manufacture more, but we as a whole have baptized less people every year. And then people are saying that the resurrection at times, people will say it's figurative, not literal. He didn't really raise from the dead. He said, it's not really, it's not really literal. No, it's literal. And then we, we've, as a church, have not us, but the church in general, has started to debate whether there's heaven and hell. And we're like, well, yeah, of course there's a heaven, but there can't be a hell because we feel so uncomfortable with that. 
when I go to funerals and stuff and I hear people say things like, so glad they're up there, and I think to myself, nothing in their life pointed to Christ. If we're talking about a system, I guess they could have bought, but if they're talking about a Savior, where's the relationship? That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Then I think to myself, God help us, because we slap a flag outside and we say, God bless America. And I want to yell, put prayer back into schools. I want to say, put a Bible back in the hands of the students and read the Bible at school board meetings and obey it. Pray to God through Jesus at the congressional level and at Senate hearings at presidential appointments. God help the church wake up, is what I want to say. Anyway, verse 4. So it it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, we have to talk about the difference between falling and falling away. When We all fall. I mean, you're kidding yourself if you think you haven't at some point fallen or sinned. I mean, sometimes it's daily or hourly or weekly, you know. We have have varying degrees of success about about how much we do or don't sin and what the Bible describes as as having a power-filled life and and living a holy life. We have differing degrees of success, but but what happens is, is you see sin, that's called conviction. And, you, and you, you sense what the Bible's saying, and you repent. It means you say, I'm sorry, I repent. Literally, you turn. 180 degrees, I'm, I'm completely turned. It's not like, yeah, yeah, I just want the grace, but I don't want the, the surrender. I just, I'll just, Lord will forgive me. Just keep doing that mess over and over. No, you repent, and you turn, and you accept forgiveness, and you keep going in your faith, right? When the Hebrew writer says fall away, we're speaking in terms of a case like Judas, for example who intentionally allows his heart to be hardened, betrays Jesus, refuses to repent because of pride and stubbornness. And the writer says that that because he's fallen away, they literally crucify Christ over and over because they know better and still won't turn back from their sin. And and he says they've fallen away and they've tasted and seen the Lord is good. They know what conviction is and repentance and grace, what it's all about. And they just say, no, I'm good. And he goes on to say, that land and land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, produces a crop useful to hear for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless, is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to be done with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully recognized and realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. In other words, God sees that you're good and he wants you to keep on going to the end and he doesn't want you to get lazy and he doesn't want you to quit. Literally saying, imitate somebody who through faith and patience will get the inheritance that has been promised. Have you ever said, I can't take this world anymore, I just want Jesus to come back? You ever said that? It takes patience and, uh, and perseverance to keep our eyes on Christ in a world living in sin. And you have to keep your faith and you have to keep your patience and you have to keep 
pushing through and pressing on, the Bible says. And, and, and you don't throw your hands up and say, oh, well. You don't wash your hands of the world. You don't say, forget it. You, you, don't let it um, you don't let it get to you. Dig in and show it a Savior. And if it starts to influence you, then you back up. You get together. You strengthen yourself again in the Word and in the body of Christ. And you go back in to amplify the beauty of Jesus into a broken world. You ever have one of those days, you know, you just feel irritable? I had one of those days yesterday. Just feel irritable, you know what I'm saying? I know you women know what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Bad crowd turns on Christian pastor. Anyway, so, so. I I don't know. My wife said, you mad at me? No, man, I'm just having a day. I just, I'm just having a day. You know, just leave me alone. I'm having a day. Not really. I just, I don't know what was wrong with me. So we went to, um, one of my kids had a birthday, so we went to uh, Kaze. You know where they do the Japanese stuff in front of you, Japanese steakhouse? Hibachi, yeah. It was really good, right? Enjoyed it. Well, I got so many people that we basically take up a whole table, you know? And, uh, and so I got these little girls, and so the guy tried to make a joke, and he tried to do something real fast and explode the place, and one of my little girls just flipped her lid. So f- for $100, I basically sold a baby the whole time, you know? <laughs> which might have been stupid on my part to take her. But anyway, so I was just annoyed, man. I was already annoyed. It wasn't going to take much to me. I just felt annoyed, you know. And then uh, my two boys wanted to go uh, for a birthday thing to, um, to Sky Zone, you know, the trampoline park where you go jump around, bless you. And so they were waiting on, uh, uh, they were, you know, waiting to get in. So we finally got in, and then, and then you know, here we are. I'm sitting there waiting on them and um, taking in all the gloriousness of these people. And so, so... No joke, man. I look around to the lady beside me, and she's, um, she's, she's eating, and she has a, I've never seen one of these, a nose mask on. Have you seen one of those? She got a nose mask on so she can keep eating. And I felt judged. I felt like I was exposing everyone through my nostrils, but her nostrils were protected. And so she's eating and just like, man. And then her kids come over. And they walk over, and um, you won't believe what their T-shirt said. Each of them wearing a T-shirt that said, best son ever. You can't all be the best son. Like, one of you is the best son, and the other two are not as favored. That's what your shirt should have said. Less favored, much less favored, favorite, right? That would be accurate. They sat down. Do you know what they put on? They put on their nose masks. (laughs) Then she took off her nose mask and went outside and started smoking. And I just said out loud, Lord Jesus, make it stop, you know? (laughs) Heavens. The lack of common sense these days will honestly make you cynical, won't it? No matter what your perspective is, the world will literally make you want to go crazy. You know what the Bible says? Love it anyway. Love it anyway. Sometimes love is a, um, is a kind approach to someone who's having a terrible day. Sometimes love in any way is speaking truth to a friend who's veering off course and needs your kindness and strength to draw them back to the word and potentially save what could be a disaster in their marriage, their family, or their job. Just to put your hand around somebody, put your arm around somebody and pray with them on their worst day and even on their best, right? The Bible says, don't lose hope in these matters. Don't lose hope. 
So he goes on to say in verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, remember Abraham was, was old, right? And he, he, he said, well, no one will be greater to swear by, so he swore by himself, right? Because God can't, like you put your hand on the Bible and swear, you know, you're not going to tell a lie, right, in court, but, but God can't swear by anybody greater, so he sweared by himself or, or makes his covenant. So he says, I will surely bless you and give you my many descendants. This was his promise. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised to him. So people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie, we, ha- we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the, the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, so first of all, it feels like somebody's telling an inside joke. You don't know what they're talking about, right? Like, what in the world is he talking about, right? He basically says Abraham was promised to be the father of a great nation. He was promised to be blessed and all his descendants to be blessed. Well, we know that came true. He, he basically confirms there's no one higher than me, so I'm not going to, I'm not, not going to necessarily swear by anyone else. Like, I am it, God says. And he says, you have to have hope. Of all the things that people have lost in this day, hope is at the top. They lost hope, man. That's why everybody's so angry and mad and frustrated, and, and, we, and we've lost hope. And as, as it seems like direction is, is, is wandering, it's like hope. But we don't tie our hope to what the world ties it to. We tie our hope to Christ. And he says, stop looking at the system and look to a Savior. Stop looking at the law and look to a relationship. And he says, he says, he goes back to, the, to speaking about the temple. He says, hey, look, the priest used to walk in behind this curtain and sacrifice for you, the lamb you brought. He's not going to do that anymore because Jesus on the cross has done the work. And so the veil, the Bible says the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom, right? Basically, God's saying, I did it. If you were going to tear your curtains up and they were high up, you wouldn't start from the top. You cut that thing from the bottom up, right? God's saying, hey, this is me. Nobody can get up here but me. And watch this. He said the, the, um, the block to get in here has been separated because Jesus has sacrificed for you. You don't have to do yearly trips. You don't have, to, you don't have to, to continue to bring this old law to the table. No, Jesus is the permanent sacrifice. And Hebrews chapter 8 says, now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So the question becomes, should we just throw out the Old Testament? Right? Should we just throw it out since Jesus is here? I mean, Jesus is here, he's the Savior, he's our relationship. Should we just, should we just pitch it? And I would say no, because there, there are threefolded purpose to why they, st- and we should still look back and look at the system and, and be thankful for a Savior. One, because... It explains God's standard of righteousness. I mean, it's so high, right? And you just realize his standard is way higher than mine, and he, he can hold to a standard that I can't, I can barely hold to for even a minute. He can hold to it forever, right? Two, it exposes sin in us. When you see how righteous he is, you quickly realize you don't measure up. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't good your way enough into his glory. You can't. 
And then the law is intended to express our need for a savior. Galatians says, so the law was our guardian, right? The system was our guardian until Christ came. And now by relationship, we are justified by faith. In other words, you need a savior. You can't ignore it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't ride the coattails of grandma and grandpa who had a great religion, but you just kind of rode on their coat. No, no. Is he your savior? That's the question. Have you let yourself go from, from the rules and regulations to a relationship with a savior who loves you and you are surrendered to? That, that becomes the determining factor of where, one, how your life will be, and two, where you'll spend eternity. I've asked Crystal to come. I really appreciate that you let us change and close in different ways. Sometimes we have the band come. Sometimes we do communion together. Uh, and today we're going we're gonna to do what sometimes we do, which is uh, we're just going to sing um, two verses of an older hymn, Amazing Grace. And the, the beauty is I want to hear you sing. Because one of the things about this church is you can hear each other sing, and I love that. You go to churches, we've lost that art of hearing the congregation sing. But somebody beside you or around you needs to hear your faith and your strength and your voice as we sing today. What I would tell you is maybe you say today, hey, pastor, you're talking to me. It happened in the first service and it happened today too. Heart's beating fast. You say, man, I bought into the fact of like the rules and regulations, but I need a relationship with the Savior. And today I surrender my life. I give Jesus all. I believe in him. And, and Lord, will you save me today? That's the prayer. I'm going to be down here. You can come find me uh, during the song or after the service. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Crystal to come and lead us. And, uh, and I'm asking you to sing in full voice as we close today. stand here today evidence of your amazing grace we're covered by your grace and we so desperately need it thank you God for a better understanding today of the hope that we have because of the salvation because of the savior 
I pray that you would just send us out today and you would go with us this week, reminding us and showing us the areas of our life that are not based on a relationship with you, Jesus, that don't represent the beautiful gift of salvation that you've given us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Change us, work in us, draw us to you. In your name I pray, amen. Have a wonderful day. You're dismissed.